I'm curious just first what, what you want the audience to take away from your appearance tonight. Yeah, well, that's, I, I, I thought about that. I mean, what people take away, obviously, is up to them. What interests me is how important the coming year is in politics, foreign relations, the, the culture of the country, the divisions. And so I'm going to try to attempt to talk about what's the disconnect or the connection between the people, the voters, the public, and the politicians. Mr. Woodward, yes. um, in your experience, which president would you say um, presented the greatest challenge for investigative journalism in terms of maybe holding them accountable or um, and how the media landscape kind of contributed or hindered that process? Well, that's a big question. Who do you work for? I'm with the Waukesha Freeman newspaper. I see. Uh, well, wow. It's, uh, that's kind of the one of those describe the creation of the universe questions. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's, Trump has been a jolt to the political system and continues to be. Uh, I spent the last seven years of my life on him writing three books and uh, an audio book in which we had uh, interviewed him for eight hours the last year of his presidency. He agreed to do that. So my wife Elsa, who uh, edits my books and is very involved, uh, so we would be at home that year and the phone would ring and we would think, is it one of our two daughters? Is it a friend? Is it a robocall? Or is it Donald Trump? And it would often be Donald Trump. And so I had time to prepare questions, and it's uh, quite an excursion. You released the audio tapes. The yes. The former president sued you uh, yeah. over that. What did you want the American public to, to hear? Uh, uh, well, you know, hear him. It's in his own voice with a, a lot of questions about what's going on, particularly with the coronavirus. And uh, I think, you know, in striving to find out what happened and who people are, having their own voice and what they say for hours and hours and hours takes you uh, as close as you're going to get to who somebody is and how, in his case, how he dealt with the virus, how he dealt with other matters in his presidency. Is he still, is he still calling you? No. I'm not on his call list. He, as you said, is suing this, uh, suing me and the publisher, uh, an alleged copyright violation, and that's a little... Uh, confounding to me because there's a public official's words or public property. 
My name is Eric Bilstad, and I'm with uh, WTMJ Radio. Um, so it's nearly been 50 years since Nixon resigned, and I know he's been gone a long time, but if he were alive today, <laughs> how do you think he'd react to all of this? Well, I, you know, that's speculation, and I, I try to avoid speculation how he would react to it. Uh, the similarities between Trump and Nixon are immense. They're different, but there are a lot of similarities for the fifth anniversary, uh, I'm sorry, the 50th anniversary book or version of All the President's Men, Carl Bernstein, and I did a new introduction which uh, begins with George Washington's farewell address in what, when, 1797, in which Washington said, unprincipled men will seek and hold the presidency. And Carl and I kind of thought, well, Nixon was unique. And uh, then along came Donald Trump to surprise us, and there are these similarities of a, a failure to have principles. What does it say about the country if Trump is the nominee here in Milwaukee next summer? Uh, it's quite likely. I think it's all, I think it's you know, maybe not, always. You never can tell. Somebody in the Biden White House said, well, it, it may be not Trump versus Biden, but X versus Y. I don't know who X and Y might be, but that's possible. So we're, we're in this uncharted territory. Uh, if you rec recall history, 1968 was a year similar to this coming year. War, violence, politics, and Lyndon Johnson, who was sitting president, withdrew from running. Do you, do you know when? March of 1968. So the equivalent would be this coming March five months away. Not saying it's going to happen, but could, could happen. How has the presidency changed? Pardon? How has the presidency changed since then? Yeah, well that's a, um, for, first of all, uh, if you look at Nixon um, through Trump, or through Biden, I've written about Biden, so that's 11 presidents. And uh, the power of the office and the presidency is increased substantially in that time. Each, each new president has new powers, and, and culminating uh, in Trump, I think, that uh, he so mastered the media to a certain extent that um, so I say a jolt. 
What are you most curious about and what are you most watching closely over this next year, especially voter interactions, voter decisions in key states like Wisconsin? Yeah. I see in that New York Times poll, Wisconsin was the only state uh, where Biden was ahead, is that right? But not by much. Yeah. You know, those, those polls are uh, always kind of interesting, but may be so irrelevant when it gets down to the vote. I mean, it's, a, it's an indicator. Uh, the really interesting question that I don't think has been answered, and certainly I can't answer in a broad way, what does the public, the average voter, expect from the president? What, you know, sit Trump and Biden down here and have some voters say, well, we want this, or we want that, or we don't want this, or we don't want that. When stories about your legacy are written, do you think the, f the first graph is going to be Trump or Nixon? Uh, well, and the reporting you've done. I mean, they're very similar, spent somewhat equal amounts of time. Um, but I, tonight I'm going to talk, I've got some material from the Nixon tapes and some evaluations in the books I did on Trump. A uh, lot, of, lot of history there and uh, well, I'll try to tie it together, we'll see, you, you can, but one of the themes is political hate that Nixon embodied, Trump has embodied, and we now see it on an international scale in the Middle East and in Ukraine. Political hate is driving a lot, too much. It's crippling. Uh, so, I, I, it's hard to be optimistic about where this, what the outcome is of all of this, but um, it's possible. You mentioned the Middle East, and we have the situation with Israel and Hamas and Palestine. For journalists who are covering something like that, or for consumers trying to learn about that, how is this conflict? Uh, a challenge or dramatically different than anything else we've seen in that part of the country or part of the world. Yeah, uh, uh, David Remnick, who's the editor of The New Yorker and um, used to work at The Washington Post, somebody I've known for decades, uh, went to Israel to write a piece about the war and his first sentence is to write truthfully about what's going on in Israel, in the Hamas-Israel war, is to fail. Because you, you, it, you can't get it right, he was saying, and I think there's a lot of, that doesn't mean you don't report on it like he did and 
hundreds others, but it's uh, the unknowns are so great. Do you think you'll ever interview Trump again? I don't know. Do you want to? Well, you know, I'm always anxious to interview anyone who's relevant, but um, the there is a convergence of this political hate uh, in the wars in the Middle East, certainly Hamas, Israel, uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine is driven somewhat by hate and the idea, well, Ukraine, we own them, they're irrelevant. And some of the political campaigns now are driven by hate. And how do you diffuse that? Mr. Woodward, um, with a career spanning several decades and covering multiple presidents, what do you consider the most significant change or evolution in the, re in the relationship between the press and the presidency? Um, Figuring out what's going on in the White House, any president, is hard. It's really hard. And uh, the impulse, because it's a political institution, is to mask certain things, and so it takes a lot of time. And in working on the Ukraine war, uh, for months and months and doing a lot of work on it. One of the surprises for me was the extent to which Biden is really involved in the day-to-day -day management of what the U.S. is doing to help Ukraine. Because he seems distant, remote, you know, at the helicopter talking with a baseball cap on, but He's on the phone, he's having meetings, he's engaged, which I think is a highly desirable. Is that uh, normal? Pardon? Is that normal? Well, presidents, commander-in-chiefs should be engaged uh, in wars. Now, we don't have troops. As I keep saying, the Ukraine war is not Vietnam. We don't have troops. Uh, but we're aiding the Ukrainians and to a large extent, and there's a debate about not fast enough, too fast, too much, too little, of course. Uh, Im important. Uh, it is in our national interest for the Ukraine war to come out well. And by well, I mean for Putin eventually to go home. So everyone will always say that the next election is the most important one. Is this next presidential election the most important one? Well, we wouldn't work very hard if we didn't have that feeling, would we? That's true. You hinted at this when talking about 68. Do you think there is a scenario where Biden's name is not on the ballot next November? I think anything can happen. I, I truly do. And would you say that in any election cycle? 
Sure, but you know, he's—I happen to be 80 also, and 80's not 37 or 47 or 57 or 67, uh, and presidency's hard, and you know, people are going to judge. But before doing that, I mean, what my role, I hope, is to describe it, learn as much about what's happening. Is 80 too old to be president? I mean, who is it? Is 80 too old to be a reporter? My wife asks that question. <laughs> Do you recall a president who struggled with exhaustion or, or seemed to not be able to handle the, the stress of it more than, say, another president? Well, that's, that's a really good... I mean, the presidency is, is just stressful. I've done a number of books on Nixon, and one of them describes how Nixon, every afternoon would go into a little alcove off the Oval Office where he had a bed or a place he could lie down, take off his trousers so, so they wouldn't get wrinkled, his shirt, his coat, I believe, and, and have a cottage cheese lunch and then lie down and take a nap. So, you know, maybe that's a good thing. Has it become more difficult to develop sources within the White House and within different administrations, or do people still want to talk to you? It's, it's always hard. Always hard. It takes time. It takes time. You've got to. Was there a random time when Trump called, like middle of the night? or Not the middle of the night, but late at night, 10 or 11 o'clock. Uh, and... After watching something on TV, they saw. You know, you know, we we tend to think, and I tend to think about interviewing anyone. Uh, maybe more so a president, but it's it's very complex. It's not simple. It's it's almost like playing the piano. You have the left hand which is asking the questions you're asking. And then the right hand is what the person you're interviewing is saying. And as the interviewer, you have to coordinate them and relate the left hand and the right hand, what you're asking and what, and does that make any sense? And it's, you can't let the left hand has questions, but the right hand's going the whole time, like when they're playing, somebody's playing a piano concerto, right? And you have to listen to the right hand and what the person being interviewed is saying so you can ask follow-up questions. You can't just come in with 10 questions. And uh, when I did the 
interviews with President George W. Bush and his wars in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, I started out right after 9-11 telling people in the White House I'd like to talk to him and 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 I'd done some work with intelligence and Pentagon and State Department uh, already on what the response was to 9-11 and so I took what I had and wrote out 30 questions and thir I'm sorry 30 pages of questions that's you know five a page that's a lot and I sent them over to Condi Rice, who was the National Security Advisor, and said, "These are, I'd like to interview the President, and these are some, not all, some of the questions I'd like to ask. And colleagues at the Post said, you sent George W. Bush 30 pages of questions? He's never read anything that long in his life. <laughs> Cynical press. Condi Rice called me up and said, the president's read your questions. Be happy to see you and have you interview him. And I said, oh, that's great. When? And she said, uh, be in the Oval Office tomorrow at 9 a.m. Now, why did he respond that way? See, a president is taken seriously, right? But the flow of news, the shouted question at the helicopter or at the press conference or something like that, is it actually doesn't do justice or belittles what a president often does. And so all of a sudden somebody parachutes in and says, you know, I have 150 questions. And it's saying, I take you as seriously as you take yourself. And it, it, no one else was doing it. And uh, so I began hours and hours of interviews with him for three of the four books I did. And I'd send in questions, and uh, he would get documents. He would get and declassify top-secret uh, transcripts of some of his interviews with foreign leaders, like Tony Blair. And um, it gave a much fuller view of what happened. And one of the memos I sent him said, um, these are the decision points you had in one of the wars. And he stole decision points as his title for his memoir and did not give me any credit. <laughs> 
not unsurprisingly, because it's actually a good title for the way he looked at the presidency. As he said publicly, but you get into, I'm the decider, I make the decision. And so if Powell and Cheney and Rumsfeld are fighting, you know, that's, you know, that's them. That's not me. I make the decisions. And uh, if you read the memoir, it's, it's, a, it's all in that theme of I'm in charge. And this is what I did. These were the events. These were the... And uh, doesn't have a whole lot to say about what others thought other than inputs for him to make judgments and decisions on. Did you, by sending the memos and, and the questions and some questions you wanted to ask, do you think that helped get you more information as opposed to coming in and say, I don't share any of my questions, I just want to talk about the war? What do you think? How would you do it? Yeah. If you had choice. You can't come in... Uh, this isn't gotcha. I, w I just want to talk about the war. I'm not sharing. See, I could send in a question, say, on December 2nd, uh, the NSC mad, and Cheney said this, and Powell said that, and what'd you think? What was your reaction? There's no way you can go in and ask somebody that, but it it interested Bush because he was interested in the presidency and the job and himself. They all came together right there. So uh, I got vastly more information and the reviews of the books was this is the first draft of history because I had documents and interviews with other people and so when are you going to get a better history? I mean certainly someday there's you, n you never get the whole story no illusion about that but that method brings you to the threshold of opening many more doors. How has your strategy for interviewing sources evolved since then? Do you still bring 30 pages of questions to people? Well, I would, not for Trump, but because, but I, you know, he, it's not the way his mind or the rhythm of his life worked. You know, he wanted to call and talk, and I would have some questions and so forth, but uh, you have to adapt, I think. Send, I mean, in some interactions earlier I had with Trump, I sent questions and, oh yeah, I got those questions. So you grew up in uh, Wheaton? Yeah. Did you ever spend any time up here? Wisconsin on your destination list or when you were a kid? Sure. I uh, 
What was the camp? I went to a Presbyterian, was it Presbyterian? Or it was a church camp here in Wisconsin. Yeah. You remember where, how far north it was? Boy, haven't thought about that for a while. <laughs> yeah, how, uh, I don't re remember the name of the camp. Uh, I'm sorry. Must have been a really good camp. <laughs> What are, what are your new projects you're, you're working on? Well, I'm working on the Ukraine war, but it converges with the Middle East and the campaign, so they're kind of... Is there a release date or a target date for, for that book? Uh, well, as soon as possible. <laughs> that's, yeah. I want to be respectful of Mr. Woodward's time. He's got a full agenda. Are there any... Closing questions. Good question. It's a seminar. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We, well, we really appreciate it. Well, then, I mean, it's, I just, I think it's really important in our business that uh, we can, if we, to the extent it's possible, show the public we're serious. Anything else? Thanks. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.